This episode of the Golf Guide podcast is brought to you by golfguide.net. Save 20 to 70% on greens fees by visiting golfguide.net and find the golf you need. Welcome back. Look at us. Yeah. Doubling down. Doubling down. Yeah. Well, welcome to another lovely, authentic episode of the Golf Guide podcast. Um, This is going to be like a fun one. I just got a bunch of questions that I'm going to ask you, and we're going to hopefully give some moderately entertaining answers. If you think that we have a problem talking about one thing for way too long... This is the podcast for you because it's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. We're going to be going lightning round, rapid, rapid fire. Oh man! Well, the thing that inspired me to do, uh, do this little episode here is a article on GolfGuide.net uh, that our friend Rick Vasek wrote about a week ago, titled "There's No Question This Game Raises a Lot of Questions." <laughs> okay. It's pretty it's very good. clever. Essentially, the whole article is just a bunch of questions about golf that I thought were really fascinating that I thought would be. Um, entertaining to kind of throw around, answer, and then hopefully, if any of you schmucks who fucking listen to this podcast have a soul, you'll reach out to Golf Guide either on Facebook or on Twitter at Golf Guide Net and give us your answers as well. You know, I think everybody's answers will be a little different. Some of them will be kind of the same. Um, but I, I think regardless, we'll have a pretty fun time talking them over and, uh, and doing them in the process. Well, you know, I, I kind of have a hard time sharing my opinion on things, but I'll, I guess I'll I'll try. Well, the reason that he uh, he did all this, he said that Golf Digest recently published a list of the top U.S. Open venues. Seeing how the U.S. Open um, is happening at Oakmont, and so my question to you is: off the top of your head, what's what, my favorite venue? Yeah, but well, just U.S. Open venue. If you could think back to like the last ten years. Of all the places the U.S. Open's been hosted, which one, which venue was your favorite? If you want, I can give you Mar- a list of was, the last ten. I think I've, I think I know it. It was Marion. Yeah, I think it was Marion. Marion was really cool. I think it'd probably be Marion for me too. Golf Digest says it's Pebble Beach. Yeah, you can't go wrong with Pebble Beach. It's it, just, yeah, I think I, I suffer from just a little bit overexposure. Overexposure. I, I think it's almost a bad thing to live so close to Pebble Beach. Only yeah. because the overexposure, you almost kind of just want something very different. And I was at that U.S. Open. It was it, it was, was great. It I was, was great. Too. Yeah, it was great. But yeah, I mean, we Graham see McDowell we, ones. That was not great. But I we mean, see Pebble Beach every year, and uh, many of us have played it. Getting I to see but, it at Marion was really special because it just doesn't go there. I love the fucking baskets, man. The baskets do it for me. <laughs> You're into baskets. I, I'm a basket, a basket fetishist. I'm a basket case. Oh, <laughs> well don't done. you like that? Well done. <laughs> so clever. <laughs> um, but yeah, more golf courses need to do the wicker. I know. Oddly enough, like Olympic Club's not one of my favorite U.S. Open venues, despite it's the one that I get to go to. All Went the to time. that one too, of course, like we all did. And um, you know what? I like it a lot, but I'm not sure it would be. It's definitely not my favorite over Marion, and probably several several of the Long Island courses I would take yeah. over. Um. Yeah, it's not my favorite. Yeah, I think I'd probably go. Ooh, Mary and one, 
maybe Oakmont too. Were they at Shinnecock in the last ten years, or was that like twelve years I think ago? It was two thousand four when yeah. Retief Goosen won it in two thousand. And that's the last time they went. Yes, uh, it should be going back relatively soon. I actually thought Torrey was a great U.S. Open course, but mainly that might be because more so of the U.S. Open that actually took place there. I think that is more I'm so not, than the actual venue itself. Yeah, I think that's a really good golf course, just as a general matter. Sure. But in, I don't, I don't think it's a particularly great U.S. Open golf course. It's just too long. One thing that I like and boring is I like relatively. I like Beth Page Black. I like Beth Page Black too. And even though the, I'm on the record for saying that I like the old timey courses that are just steeped in tradition and you know bad uh political views and things like that um i do like there is something about having the u.s open at a public course that's kind of cool every so often yeah yeah and beth page black i don't think a lot of golf architect guru type people think is particularly great golf course well, it's but crazy I, cause I, it, despite it the fact that it's a Tillinghouse course yeah it, it's not it's certainly not considered like his best work yeah I like it though, but I think it's very beautiful. I think it it's is. a cool kind of, it's a cool scene yeah. out there. Absolutely, absolutely. So it sounds like we both take exception to Pebble being the number one open venue, but yeah. you certainly can't go wrong. That's going to be the answer that appeases the most people, right? Especially the people that live in the bitter, shitty Midwest, Oof. where it's just cold and crappy all the time. And then you see beautiful—that is, that is an oversimplification. <laughs> of the Midwest, <laughs> beautiful green grass growing atop cliffside. Now is coastal California. Yes, Jesus. Um, Pebble Beach. Pebble. <laughs> what, so, what? Are, name the other ones real quick. Just rattle uh, them off. Go through. Oak, uh, starting from 2016, going backwards. Oakmont, Chambers Bay, Pinehurst. Oof, I know what my least favorite is. <laughs> Marion, yeah. Olympic, Congressional. Yeah, Congressional's okay. Pebble, Bethpage, Torrey, Oakmont again, Wingfoot, Pinehurst, Shinnecock, Olympia Fields. That's where Furyk won. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's why they're never going back. Right. <laughs> Beth Page, Southern Hills. Southern Hills, yeah, that was okay. That's, S- Southern Hills is all right. I mean, it's okay. I mean, who the fuck wants to go to Oklahoma to play the National Golf Championship, though? Yikes. Or or to do anything. Yeah. No and offense, that, Oklahoma. And to be fair, for the last while, those have kind of just, those are the ones. I mean, if you have right. to, to get a different one, you'd have to go all the way back to 96 when was the last time they played it at Oakland Hills? But I think it's going back there relatively soon. Uh, Baltus Rawl, before it basically got labeled purely as a PGA Championship course, hosted right. the U.S. Open in 93 when Lee Jansen won. It's um, interesting, though. The U.S. Open is switching it up in the upcoming years yeah. to some places it hasn't been in a long time, like L.A. North. Which is going to be awesome. That'll be great. Which is going to be so awesome. Um, yeah. It's, it's going to be cool to see various celebrities right in the front row of things. <laughs> celebrities... Or really, what make the world go round? Mm-hmm. Am, am I am I right? Um, someone who's spent years of their life in Los Angeles may think that way. Yeah, sure, yeah, right, sure. What whatever, I'm, I'm, whatever you want, man. I ran into many celebrities in L.A., not the least of which was Danny DeVito. Oh man! All right, Michael, Michael Sarah. Oh, George Michael. <laughs> no, I, you know. <laughs> I would have run into him a few years ago, but he stopped <laughs> going to the places. I would have run into him. Just kidding, everyone. <laughs> uh, all right. Here's a good question for you. Now, I think you've answered this before. I'm not trying to bring up uh, a sour talking point here, but have you had a hole-in-one? Uh, I have not. Okay. Not a real one. So Rick, who's the art, the author of this uh, article, has also not had a hole-in-one, despite playing golf for about four decades longer than we have. So long as our friend John Morris doesn't have a hole-in-one, it's all fine. Then everything's fine. <laughs> So the question that he has is, how are you supposed to handle a hole-in-one today? 
in terms of drinks. Yeah, and and here's here's the little little blurb that he gives here. Are you supposed to buy drinks for everyone in the clubhouse? No, absolutely not. I mean, no, no. Maybe if you belong to a Again, private club and you know everybody. I'm stingy and quasi broke, so maybe I'm not the best person to ask. But like, if eh. it, if you do it, maybe it could be different if you do it in a men's club type situation or if you know everybody mm-hmm. in the clubhouse. Then I could see it happening because you're going to bother everybody with the story of your hole in one anyway. So everybody deserves a drink for having to put up with that. <laughs> but <laughs> but I think you know regular public course or a place that you don't have a membership. It's just the guys in your group. Well, I like the the private clubs that offer hole in one insurance. Yeah, I mean, so evidently they must think you have to buy for everybody. Yeah, like even in like the nice high end clubs, hole in one insurance is like five bucks a month. Yeah, because you're not going to get one. Yeah, I mean it's it's a a waste of money. Yeah, but you know, in the off chance that it does, but the only way you're going to be using that hole in one insurance is if you're like a 19 handicap woman who plays golf what nine times a year and happens to get like two aces every calendar year. That's just the kind. Those, those are the people that are getting hole in one. Those ladies with with double digit handicaps get a ton of holes in one. Fuck yeah, they do. They get all. They get a million of them. <laughs> they kind of get bored. Even there's hole in ones that they've had that they don't remember right. because they, they just don't. They don't have enough space upstairs to recall all of them. Unbelievable. Um, and I'll follow. This. And since you are uh, one of the lawyering types, you can actually answer this one for me Maybe. as well. We'll see. Uh, with so well, do you buy drinks for everyone in the clubhouse? But with so many cities getting tougher on drunk drivers. If you bought extra drinks for everybody and someone got cracked for drunk driving, can you be blamed? Probably not. Okay. If you, I mean, you're not making them drink. So, if you... If I you, had a hole-in-one drink, that fucking scotch! If you know that a person is drunk and you know that they're going to drive, then it's possible. But there, there's pretty strict... I mean, a lot of states have um, liabilities... That are you know laws that are specific to taverns and innkeepers that limit liability. It's different in every state. But officer, okay, Bobby got a hole in one on the thirteenth. Oh, what is I supposed to do? California, California, I think, um, is a little bit less favorable to, you know, innkeepers as they say. Sure. But uh, what a great word, by the way. Yeah. I worked in hotels for years. Nobody ever called me an innkeeper. But yeah, usually liability is a lot easier to get for a business establishment if you give drinks to somebody who's a friend of yours at your house and stuff it's a lot harder to get you for okay. law because the law doesn't want to hold you to as high a standard but i'm not sure exactly what the law is in that area okay yeah would you worry about it if you had the money to be buying everybody drinks would you f- if somebody's getting real fucking toasted would you keep buying the drinks like yo bro i don't know it's hard to say all right well <laughs> it's, never, mean, it's never gonna happen for either of us anyway so i guess it doesn't even really matter but with that in mind and this is where i'm continuing Let's say you thought you could be liable. Should you do at least be buying iced teas and diet sodas for everybody, or is that just kind of... Yeah, whatever people want to drink. It's only fair. And they get a hole-in-one and they order an iced tea or a diet soda. It saves you money. Yeah, but I mean, what a pussy. Hey, well, <laughs> you know, some people might be in recovery. Uh, what if they're a diabetic and they want to see you because you bought them a sugary beverage? Uh, well, you know, and I'm not making them drink. Personally, I buy everybody water. <laughs> That'd be nice. Yeah. <laughs> Nice, cold, refreshing iced water. All they say is a drink. That most definitely is a drink. Well done. Yes. All right. Now we're going to switch into a... Uh, the next question is one that our, our good friend, who we actually don't happen to be friends with at all, Larry David, brought up. I'm friends with him. What's the over-under on Jordan Spieth going bald, age-wise? How old is he now? 22? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, he'll always have some hair. On top. On the top of his head. 
like completely. Like I'm talking like not a bald spot in the back. Just like it goes all the way. Over. Like at, yeah. at, at what point does he probably twenty nine? Okay, so you're saying that he doesn't make it to thirty? No, that's kind of what uh, what Rick was bringing Even up in the Tiger, call. Like, Tiger. What's the over under? Will he reach thirty first? There's a great picture actually on the article. I, I encourage all of, of you to airline. go. Of the two of Tiger and Jordan together, just balding Ooh, and looking. Yeah, awful. you know what? I didn't even notice that about that picture, but they are both remarkably bald. <laughs> Not a lot of hair going on there. No, oh, that's a shame. Those poor guys, especially Jordan, man. Like twenty-two. That's it's a little that, early. That's a rough age to already be like seeing it all go. I think it would be really funny and great if they just got a fucking piece. I think you know, that w- nobody does that anymore. Like baldness is is not quite as um, taboo discriminated against sure. as it was in the past. But I think it'd be really funny if Jordan Spieth just got this luscious wig, you know, like <laughs> like a old timey broadcaster wig. <laughs> I, I personally you get like a Noah Syndergaard wig. Well, that's the thing. If I'm if I'm Jordan Spieth, I either go Noah Syndergaard Thor wig, and I'm just like fuck it. It's Thor so wig. fake it. that it just doesn't even matter. Like screw all of you guys. I think that'd be great. It'd be awesome. Or he'd be a huge celebrity if he did that. By the way. Yeah. Or you just fucking shave it. Not all that off. he isn't. You just you just go bald and just own it. Like just I th- I to think shave you, everything. I think you cling to what you have. Clinging is key. Although Jordan seems like the kind of guy that would not look good with a completely bald head. You know, a lot of bald guys they they salvage it with uh, you know some facial hair, and Jordan Spieth's not going to be able to do that either. <laughs> so, you know, at least Tiger can sort of grow a goatee, soul patch thing that he does sometimes. Sure, it doesn't look good, but it's it, it exists. Mm. Uh, so I think Spieth's going to have to cling to what what he has there because nobody wants to have that. I mean, some people do. I'm not saying this doesn't look good, but, you know, it's it's kind of tough to pull off the very, very smooth look. Mm. So, yeah. ah, I get especially that. when you look so young. We're I mean, not balding, so I guess we don't have to think about it yet, but. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be. Nor will a, we bald. I don't think it's going to be a problem for me. It could happen. Yeah. I'm oh. waiting to get the sweet gray hair like you've got. Yeah. I actually am waiting for that. I think it'll help me get jobs. Yeah. The Silver Fox. You ever see those Yours commercials? Truly. You ever see those commercials for uh, the touch of gray? Where there's like two job applicants and one of them has completely gray hair and he looks too old for the job. And oh, then yeah. One of them has no gray hair and he looks too young for the job. And then there's the guy well, with as, the touch as Cla- of gray. As Clyde the Glad says, no play for Mr. Gray. Right. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. And so so the touch of gray is what works best for your job prospects. Sure. Sure, I, I feel very... My brother has it, so I think I'll be I feel be very trustworthy in that you can see my youthful face, but you see the years of experience it's a perfect, lined in my hair. It's a great look. Thank you, man. That's it's the Anderson Cooper thing. Thank you. Going. Word. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. Right the fuck on. Well, this next question may not pertain to either of us because I have not been to a top golf facility. Have you? Top golf? No, but I want to. Um, Rick says that he finally played top, top golf. It was great, albeit expensive. Right, it's a little pricey. Um, but he has one question, and this is, uh, this is one that... Any of you listeners, again, please reach out to us on social media because I would actually would genuinely like to hear um, some people's answers to this. And that is, he says, could they have made it a little longer? Because apparently, oh. apparently, you only hit like seven and nine irons. Oh, that sucks. Like, there's no drivers or long irons. Or oh, it's, it's, well, the, the facility isn't long. It designed I think it should to be at least like at least 200 yard shots that you hit. Yeah, and maybe well, who knows? Maybe Rick's one of those fucking savage old guys that's hitting seven irons, two hundred and ten yards. It's more fun to show off for pe- like um, top golf. You could go with a bunch of people who play golf, but odds are you're going to be going like with a date or with your family. You know, it's one right. of these things to bring in sort of non golf people. And if you're the golfer in the group, what you're hoping for is a chance to show off in front of everybody. Of course, I mean, let's be honest. Of course. So <laughs> it's a lot harder to seem like a stud. 
if you're not hitting driver. Sure. Well, on, on that same kind of line, I'll jump into another question here. I understand it, it's, it's about money. The, the bridge seems very, very nice. So, um, you know, the, Ben Hogan had that famous line about Jack Nicholas, where he says, he played a game with which I am not familiar, referring to how far Jack Nicholas would hit the golf ball. When you are watching golf and you hear the fucking announcers saying, uh, 220 yards, he's hitting a seven iron. Yeah. I What's your reaction? I don't like it. Makes me feel like a pussy, you know? <laughs> Dude, like, especially with a guy like Justin Thomas, for instance. Justin Thomas is smaller than me. I'm a small guy, like, in, in terms of, The like, guy swings, mind. like, 121 miles an hour. Dude, he's 147 pounds. Yeah. And he Charles Howell III bombs it. He's the smallest guy in the world. So what exactly? I mean, he's not, but he's thin. Th- there's got to be some trick, something that we I know. could theoretically do to hit I know. the ball that far. I know. That's what's frustrating about it. So why can't we? I don't know. Th- those guys are in great shape. I'm certainly not in great shape at all. Fuck uh, it. We could do it. We have, more, we have more girth. I don't think that if we put a real dedicated effort into it, we would have any trouble getting up to sort of the... 112 to 115 swing speed but it would take a while and it would take kind of a program there's this random guy on the internet who went on this homer-esque odyssey of uh, getting a faster swing speed and he had monitors and little knickknacks to do it and it did work Hmm. i don't know if he lowered his handicap or anything but uh Part of the reason they hit it so far is that they just hit the fucking sweet spot every time. Well, that's annoying. Yeah, right? Because <laughs> most of the reason that people like us can't hit it as far as those guys isn't necessarily that we swing so much slower than they do. I mean, we do, but it's not a huge difference. It would be at that level, but you know, I, I probably swing my driver about 105, which is okay. It's probably faster than I swing mine. And the reason I don't hit it as far as those guys is not necessarily my slower swing speed. It's that I just mishit the ball. And uh, Seems perfectly logical. Right. <laughs> well, hitting the sweet, the sweet spot's not very big. No. Despite all these fucking club companies talking about how the biggest sweet spot ever. Oh, impossible to miss the sweet spot on the new J4757 True Temper, blah, blah, blah. Dude, fuck that. That shit's hard. Right, it is. <laughs> and And even within the sweet spot, there's the real sweet spot and then there's the parts that are just not going to hurt you too badly mm-hmm. and you got to hit the good part we've we've all seen the uh the wear pattern on clubs that professionals have sure. it's it's ungodly well I, even I, good amateurs they've they just hit the sweet spot every time it, mm-hmm. they never miss hit a shot is there badly any way to reverse the trend to get to guys to get guys not hitting the ball as far yeah they need to change the golf ball would you like to see that? Yeah, maybe a little. Yeah, maybe just a, a skosh. Because mm-hmm. I think it's a little, it's a little insane that guys are are hitting it in the three fifty range. Like it's a little excessive. But the PGA Tour put out this widely discredited <laughs> study uh, about a week ago where they said that driving distances haven't gotten longer. Yeah, fucking idiots. In, in, in the past ten years or something. The fuck are they watching? And it just it can't be true. It just can't. It's like somehow it's like the tobacco industry and their studies. Like somehow somebody was paid to monkey around with the numbers on this one. I can't say that it's not accurate, but it just can't be. It's, it can't be accurate. It just is. Anybody that watches and plays golf 
yeah. knows that it can't be accurate. And I know most of the big distance gains happened maybe a little bit before 10 years ago, but it seems like at the top levels of professional okay. golf, it keeps happening. In the last happening. 20 years, have the distance yeah, yeah. gone up like, yes, yes, oh, yeah, they have. Big time. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I, It doesn't need to go all the way back to where the longest guy on the PGA Tour is hitting at 275, but uh, I think that uh, we need to put a little... I don't know what to do about it besides the golf ball. I think that... That's most of the re- that when you talk to Jack Nicholas, that's what he blames it on is that the, the, golf ball. the ball is just so superior to what it used to be technologically. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you. And that I, I think for me, what's tough about it is that it's forcing a lot of great golf courses to change, mm-hmm. where they're perfectly good before, but because the technology is now basically surpassed the utility of that golf course, it's having to change when it really is just. For 99.9% of the people that play it, it's just perfect. And it adds difficulty to the game because you have guys who are amateurs and high handicappers who are in good enough shape that where they hit the ball, if they hit the ball well, it's going to be a long drive. Sure. We've all played with guys who definitely hit it in the 300 range who are not particularly Who simultaneously good. kind of suck. Yeah, sometimes. And what happens then is that we have them miss hitting shots that go a mile and it just adds time to yeah. rounds of golf. Sure. Um, the longer of course is the longer it takes to play and the farther you hit a shot, the farther you're offline you hit it and the harder it is to find it and the longer it takes to get there and the harder it is to recover. So it is part of the, the problem that the golf industry has of rounds that take too long and, uh, just kind of the, uh, unpleasant nature sometimes of having to go find your fucking ball and where did it go and where's our other players recovering and and having to take penalty drops and lost balls and it's a part of the reason why a lot of people don't play by the book when they have a lost ball or out of bounds because yeah, like, it takes so fucking it takes long. and 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 you hit it so far that you kind of just you know put it on faith that you're going to find your ball and then you don't and so there's a, there's a lot of effects that that happen at a more sort of lowly level in the amateur ranks sure. of the of distance. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's troubling a little bit, but also I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. No. <laughs> All right. This one uh, I'm actually going to go a little bit local on you. Something with you with with which you have loads of familiarity with, uh, and I am referring to a lovely golf course by the name of Bennett Valley. Here in lovely Santa Rosa, California. I love that place. So the 17th green at Bennett Valley is a little peculiar. It has it a is. yeah, it's a mistake. It has a woman's breast shape, like carved into the middle of it, that bisects the the two the front and back section of the middle tier of the green with a a back tier that drops and a front tier that is severely sloping to a much lower tier that's basically on level with the fairway. It's a strange green. Rick's question here is: Has anybody ever two putted? From the back level of the 17th hole to a pin placement in the front? It's so hard to even get in the back. Could you even theoretically two-putt from back there? Yeah. Okay, could you hold it on that front part of the green with the, with the lag putt from all the way back there? In theory, it's no different than being in the middle. You just have to put it to you know the absolute fall point with as little on it as possible. And then, of course, it's going to roll where it's going to roll. But... I think it'll stay on, uh, barely. Although you're thinking it'll run off, and so mm-hmm. it'll just yeah. I mean, it, it's it's hard, but I've had putts from the the middle level that that you managed to keep on. Sure, but that thing is like it's hard. 
that is a crazy green, but I love I, I love that green though. The front of the green I don't think is the problem. I think no. that's that's pretty normal to have a feature like that. It's very tough. The tit in the middle is kind of what the makes mi- it. Yeah, that's a really dumb part of that green. <laughs> but a challenging golf hole nonetheless. Probably I would say the most challenging golf hole in that course. No, I don't think so. I think that the drive is pretty straightforward. Yeah, but that's uh, exactly why it's difficult. You have to hit a drive straight. But it's not that narrow. I mean, it's a pretty normal width fairway. Mm, that approach shot with that tree I think hanging definitely, on the right side. I think eight is definitely harder. Mm. And I think two is probably harder as well because there's trouble off the tee. Hmm. Um, it's definitely an easier green. It's a very simple green. But the tee shot on two is somewhat demanding. Sure. And you can definitely hit it too far. Interesting. Yeah, I'd be inclined to say 17 and 12, I think, are the two most difficult. 12 is, 12 is harder than 17. Probably the two most difficult holes in that golf course. In my 12 usually plays into the wind, and it's a much harder um, approach shot. The green complex is a little trickier. You got you got, more, tricky. you got more trouble Yeah, lurking short left and right on 12. Anyway. Okay. Um, the next one. Next question from dear old Rick. Mm. Does anybody who regularly rides a cart ever go back to consistently carrying their clubs? <laughs> Probably not. Probably not. I've never seen that. Neither have I. And when you go out and play, do most of your buddies not named Kyle that you play golf with, do they prefer to walk or ride? Most people prefer to ride, I think, but most of the time I manage to sort of guilt them into walking without even saying anything. Sure. I, I just like, I don't even bring up getting a cart. Yeah. I just don't. Do I. I, I'm walking. It's, but, you know, I've. Ca- more casual players definitely prefer a cart. See, I'm it a is little, fun to drive the cart. I'm a little more direct because, like, I I was on a golf trip down to Fresno with uh, two of my good buddies from from Chico maybe a month ago, and we got to play at 8 a.m. round. And first of all, I, I just prefer walking in general, but also walking saves you roughly 20 bucks every single time you go out and play golf. Yeah, I can't afford to cart um, it every time. But I mean, please. even that not being the case, like, I I just prefer to walk. I I hate getting to a ball and not having all of my clubs right there. Right. And you know, get, and people are like, oh, but then you could, you know, you, you just drive the golf cart on the course. It was like, well, one, it sucks for the golf course. Two, you still can't do that around the greens. Like, yeah. No. It, yeah, it's true. And uh, I was out there playing with those guys, and and we paid. We went out, and they're like, "Where's your car?" I was like, "I'm walking." They're like, "Walking? Why?" I'm like, "Because I'm not a bitch." <laughs> I, the I I do think maybe I would get lured to being a cart person by just time demands if i really needed to get a quick round in sure but other than that i feel like i can walk and still play 18 in three hours though as long as i'm not waiting on anybody i'm playing like just but it has to be but it has to be that a cart is faster i guess if you're playing by yourself yeah and you can drive on all the fairways and drive up right next to the green but yeah theoretically you should be able to play a lot faster with a cart yeah um uh, the only excuse i could think of for playing with a cart is if you're trying to get real fucked up. <laughs> and then you can drive your cart. Yeah. And you, you can drink and drive without with suffering minimal penalties. It is a thing that... And you can carry a lot more beer in a cart than you can that's on the, your shoulders. That's the thing. Yeah, you can't carry excessive heavy beer loads uh, in your <laughs> golf bag. Loads of beer. <laughs> Many loads. <laughs> so, yes, there is that. I'm always carrying around loads. Oh, my just, God. Just not a beer. That's, <laughs> This thing really went off the rails real have, quickly. That can't be. <laughs> uh, let's see here. All right. Rick's next question here. Why is it that when you swing easy to try to keep the ball below the hole, you invariably flush it and airmail everything? 
You shouldn't be swinging easy to keep it below the hole. What kind of... Well, a nice, easy 75% swing to keep the ball below the hole. You kind of want to go on the, the low side, so, you know... Well, it goes back to what I said about swing speed. It, the reason we don't hit it as far as the pros is partly because of swinging slower, but it's also that we just mishit the ball so often. So when you hit it well, uh, it goes way farther, mm-hmm. and you're not used to hitting it well because you suck. Yeah. So that that's what happens. Maybe you should be swinging easier all the time. Yeah, that is what happens, isn't it? Yes. Shit. That's, that's what happens. That's why. That's why. Shit. It's because you're inconsistent. You're not that good. Hmm. And I've been there and am there. Yes. Been and have been. <laughs> uh, then conversely, and why is it that every time you try to put a little bit of extra extra juice on like a nine iron, it just invariably ends up like 15 yards short? That Yeah. I don't know why that happens. The same principle. You're probably overswinging and just missing the sweet spot by even that much more. See, I do suffer badly from... from hitting it shorter when i'm trying to hit it longer and I, it's not even that i miss hit it so much it's just that i think i, I must put a ton of backspin and just have like a terrible trajectory or or i don't know god only knows it bal- they balloon I, I don't don't have that penetrating ball flight that you need i can't recall if i brought this up to you on a round of golf that we played or maybe on a podcast um and if, if i have it sounds real familiar just go ahead and stop me um stop Uh, from a lesson that I had a couple of months ago uh, my instructor brought up a good point and I kind of thought to myself like why don't I always think that and that is he told me that I should you should just always assume that you're going to be hitting the ball and making contact that's about 80% of perfect Mm -hmm. that if you hit if when you flush an 8 iron it goes 160 yards if you're 160 yards away you shouldn't be hitting an 8 iron you shouldn't just be assuming you're going to be hitting an 8 iron perfect all the time always play everything to about 80% thoughts well it's tough to do because you want to be like oh no i hit a fucking nine iron or something but you know what i would say is since i've done that i've hit a lot more greens i will say that right that that goes back to the um the whole every shot counts way of which is a book uh, a book about golf course management uh which i've actually referenced and asked people about several times since we had that chat out at the spring let's find a copy of that we should but um, that actually be a fun podcast to go through and find some of the highlights and and discuss them right right, for a later podcast the uh yeah, you should. The way I would put it is that you should know where your shots go. You should have like a scatter plot in your mind of where your shots land, and then you should pick a club that optimizes the outcomes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you overlay that scatter plot on the hole that you're playing, and you figure out where the bad trouble is and where the best place to end up is, and. You know, if you're in competition or something, you figure out whether you're trying to be conservative or aggressive, and then you just choose the club that that makes the most sense or the shot that makes the most sense. So, sure. uh, it, it, a simpler way of putting it is to say, oh, you know, just think, figure you'll do eighty percent of your best shot. But it depends on how good you are. Uh, could depend on the club. You know, maybe you're better with your your seven iron than you are with your three iron. You know, so I would just say no. Is anybody better with their three iron than their seven iron? <laughs> Jason Day, maybe. But uh, <laughs> the fuck, yeah, I shouldn't have said maybe. But you just just have a good self awareness of the actual results of your shots. Sure, the good and the bad. I mean, you shouldn't forget that you can hit a flush shot perfectly and that it's going to go the distance it goes. It you're going to have to be prepared for that to happen. So yeah. don't act like it won't. But but also. Don't act like the shitty ones won't happen either, and, right. and it takes some pressure off to know that you've made the right decision is there based any, on everything. Is there any one distance that you feel 
most comfortable from. Yeah, I do. I actually feel more comfortable from about 150 yeah. than I do from closer and from farther away. Sure. So 150 is right around that sweet spot. I like I like the 7-iron a lot. So when it's you, most people's favorite club. When you see a 153-yard par 3 on the scorecard. Yeah, I love that. You, yeah. You're I don't know why. You're, you're a happy man. In theory, uh, backed up by evidence and stuff, you should feel better the shorter your shot is. Well, but, that, that's the one part that you were bringing up is that uh, it seems a little odd to me because most of us have that sweet spot. I think where, it, it mostly is like a folk theory. Yeah, like me, I, I love I love taking my gap and my pitching wedge out and hitting 125-yard shots in the hole. I, that, that's it's great. But you were telling me that, you know, from all the research and from history. Yeah, from and, this book. From this like, book that essentially, that read, that even, if you, what even if you feel really comfortable from a certain distance, the closer you are to the hole, mm-hmm. the better your chances are going to be, regardless yeah, of how you feel. Absolutely. It, I mean, do, do, you, do you buy into that? Completely. Yeah. It, to, a, to a degree, it you know, always take into account your circumstances. You don't want to be on a down slope or a side slope. That's re- you know, or you I know. would much rather be in the fairway from 170 out than a bunker from 95. Sure, exactly. So <laughs> that that's a huge factor. But all else being equal, mm-hmm. you know, assuming the lies are the same, assuming the lies are the same, then you are going to get closer to the hole the closer you are with your shot. Sure, it's as simple as that. Yeah, and there's no, I, and it's a steady. Uh, correlation there's no like staggering or tears to it um i I think it's kind of like a bimodal not a bimodal but uh whatever the word that scientists mathematicians would use for it at some point you're so far away that a a yard doesn't really matter like you you know 249 or 250 it doesn't make a huge difference so there is there is a part of the of the bag where it starts to make a lot of difference i think between 200 and 100 is where you see the most swift improvement by being closer. Got it. But you still see it under 100 yards. Sure. All the way up to maybe the 10-yard, you know, distance. Or, hmm. I mean, consider putting. It's yeah. a similar. It's a similar. Totally. It's no different. Uh, that would be the most clear case of why it's accurate. I mean, it, it's just a, I guess the metaphor would be the wrong word, but essentially it, it's a great representation of the game from there to 500 yards out. Yeah. The closer you are, the better your chances of keeping it close or putting it in. You should always be trying to get as close as possible unless you think that there are reasons that trying to get close would cause you to hit a worse shot. Like if you know for a fact that you just aren't very accurate trying to hit a 220-yard right. uh, hybrid or whatever it is, then you should take that into account and maybe not hit it because you're going to end up in a bad position. But uh, if it's a wide-open hole... You know, there's no trouble at all. Then, then you absolutely need to be getting as close as you can, totally, to play the proper way. You hear that, everybody? Yeah. We have an average handicap of twelve. Listen to what we say. <laughs> hey, you know, it, it, we know all. It's definitely possible to know something that you're incapable of doing. Totally. I mean, that's why there's caddies. Caddies are probably some of the most brilliant golf minds out there. None of them can do anything that the guys that they're carrying the bags for can do. Right. I mean, maybe I mean, I'm sure some of them are pretty fucking good. You but know what? It takes me back to this. You know, there's a reason they're not on the PGA Tour. Don't you hate the the saying that a lot of annoying parents say? It was like, you can't tell me uh, that I'm not raising my child right. And this hasn't Fuck happened yeah, to me. You but can. It, it, why can't you? I mean, you people who don't have kids are not capable of observing good and bad parenting. I mean, come on. You don't have to have kids to know what right and wrong is all the time. 
when I sometimes see sometimes it's obvious. When I see a guy rock climbing and he falls down and breaks his neck, I say, "Yeah, he fucked up." Right. I don't have to be a rock climber to know that he fucked up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> come on. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. Exactly. Well, yeah, I love judging people, don't you? Well, <laughs> I guess I do. I do it. I do it too much. I do it too much. Uh, especially golf swings. I like. I like looking at golf swings. I'm certainly no Brandy Chamble. Brandy fucking, Chamble. Fucking whatever his name is, but <laughs> Brandy Chandler. I think was a Playboy Center. It's really weird. Like for how much I really love golf, I never watch the Golf Channel. I watch the Golf Channel sometimes, but it's almost always around a, uh, an important tournament. Yeah, like I mean, I watch the tournaments, but like it's good fodder for thinking about golf you know if you want to just dive in i guess so but for me it's like what all the swing tip stuff i can't stand those shows dude like again the golf fix is unwatchable dude like we've we've hammered this home like people are bored like dudes guys shut the fuck up you've said this before but it's like dude everybody's golf swing is so unique like these generalizations of like tips of how to get better are so fucking dumb like i I don't understand how people who like golf and play a decent amount of golf buy into that bullshit there's still a huge role to play for for swing coaches when you're working with them as a player yeah because they can see things that 100 percent. but it's unique to you sure it is, and and in the age of TrackMan, you know there really is a way to get around the bullshit yeah. that these sorcerers totally have, are putting out there. You know, I don't know, that, and I guess they must be scared of that. But they're trying. I think they're trying to wring as much uh, blood from the stone as they can before people realize they don't necessarily uh, need to listen to any of that. Totally. So, yeah. I, I, yeah. I and know. and at the same time, they yell at professionals for playing golf swing instead of playing golf. And meanwhile, yeah. that's their whole job. Yeah. Fucking so. idiots. But I do like to watch it. Oh. With that being said. That's okay. On that note, we're, we're about to wrap up this brief little guy. Any, any other closing thoughts you'd like to share with our lovely listeners? <laughs> Christ, no. <laughs> All right, everybody. We'll, uh, we'll be back next week. Thanks so much. Yeah.